When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sports Preds Nashcast, aka the hockey show that won't quit like the Coyotes GM did, recapping the Preds' four to three loss to the Coyotes in Game One of the Stanley Cup qualifying round held earlier today, just about half an hour ago. It, it ended today. We are joined by fellow co-host, Lord Mayor of Sparksville, Chris Link, is on the show, and we also have a third voice on the line, and that would be. Christopher Martell of the Neutral Zone and now also Broadway Sports. Martell, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. It's good to, good to finally talk to you again. Lord Mayor of Sparksville, how are you doing? Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's Sparklesville. Um, oh, if you have, Ooh. like, get, get my Animal Crossing Ooh. avatar's name correct. His title is important. Um, I'm sorry about that. Well, I mean, when, when, when life gives the option to dress your character in head-to-toe purple sparkly outfits, you do it, and you name him Lord Mayor of Sparklesville. <laughs> so, well, uh, we, I'll tell you what was not Sparklesville was uh, Edmonton, Alberta, which was the site <sighs> of the Predators losing in Game 1. Uh, we are obviously going to talk a lot about that today. We might even uh, talk a little bit about the upcoming Game 2 on Tuesday. But, boy, there's a lot to talk about. The Predators lose 4-3. to They fell behind 3-1 in the first period and then 4-1 in the second period before finally coming back in the in the third period, getting a couple goals, one by Ryan Ellis, one by Philip Forsberg. But it wasn't enough, and the in the end, the, the Coyotes took Game 1. Um, we're going to talk a lot about this game. There's a lot to talk about with penalties and some some five on five action. But uh, what were your overall reactions to this game uh, initially? Um, I, it was a classic um, 2019 2020 NASA Predators find ways to beat themselves. Um, yes. I really I really think that uh, the game probably should have been really very even, and I think at times it looked even. But ultimately, it came down to the Predators not being able to execute, making the normal mistakes they've been making for I don't even know how long, at least a season, two seasons. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think it was, um, you know, when you say it, it kind of looked even, like it was deceptively so in that approach. It, it looked even for maybe a few minutes here in the first and second period. I mean, Nashville put their foot on the gas in the third. But I think the biggest problem is, is they continually shot themselves in the foot. It really felt like four months of time wasn't enough for Nashville to say, hey, maybe we should play a little different, you know? I, no, I guess not. They, they needed another four months. So an extra if, four. if we played this in December, maybe they would have been. Well, I mean, I'll just I'll just get the fireworks started immediately. I mean, if, if your coach doesn't know what to do four months ago, he doesn't, and, and, and he takes the four months and nothing changes, there's – is a problem. Like yeah. the same problems, there were problems when Hines was beginning to be a coach and then in the middle of me a coach and now me a coach. There's nothing, we didn't see anything new or unexpected from the Predators today. No, that's, but, that's what, that's my big takeaway is that it's been four months, but it's the exact same team that I got used to watching. No, I agree with that. I, but I, I'm not ready to just 
push all of the blame on John Hines yet. You know? Oh I, no, there's plenty. Of, there's there's Tenorti, There's Benito. <laughs> There's okay. People to blame, like oh, absolutely. I mean, you could you can go as far as say, hey, you know, if Matt Duchesne would have showed up, or you know, if Pecorine would have been in net for that first goal, you know, I mean, there's there you could say tons of things, but I think the the biggest thing that really got me today was that the fact that the Preds just didn't have any kind of pushback for 40 minutes. Like for 40 minutes, they just said, hey, come on in, come yeah. on in and score, score what you'd like to score. We're good. We're good for 40 minutes. They just did that. So the Coyotes got two goals on special teams. They got a shorthanded goal. They got a power play goal. And they got two even strength goals. The first of which we all know was by far one of the weirdest, luckiest goals. I mean, I would say even the goal that Ellis gave up in the playoffs against the Red Wings, that one from mid-ice. Was that Lidstrom that yep. shot that one? Even that goal was at least a shot on goal. This one was just a rim around that hit two Predators and bounced in. Uh, so that was crazy. So here's my, my argument for this being a, a, a fairly uh, not not even game, but the fact that the Predators at five on five, even though there is some score effect going on here with the Predators down three goals in the third, five on five, I, I really think they were the better team. It's just they kept getting these penalties. They got seven penalties in the game. They got they kept getting penalties at those, these horrible times. Even the Benino penalty – uh, at, at the end of the game, or in the third period with about seven minutes left, the Predators had all the momentum, and then Bonino gets in the box and kills it, and then they have like like less than five minutes left to try to get something going. And you know, so I mean, so penalties. Let's let's talk about the penalties for a second. So I uh, saved a tweet from uh, Jeremy Gover because he collected most of these into one tweet. This he posted this directly after the. Um, Grandland penalty where he basically like tried to reach his arm over top of the Cody player to drag him back. I didn't like, understand that. Was here's the four penalties the Predators took prior to that stupid penalty from Grandland. So we have um Tenorti just knocked over a guy who was not near the play. Duchesne took a hit and then held the guy the Coyotes player's skates. Uh Johansson had a was cross chat or had a penalty committed against him and then immediately retaliated and got the offsetting and then Fabro cleared the puck over the glass. So the Predators had five penalties in a row that were a hundred percent avoidable. There, I think he forgot the Grimaldi penalty where he was he carried the puck oh. out of his own zone into the slot area, gave up the puck and then had to hook in order to get it back. I I, I will give I will give Fabro the benefit of the doubt and say that his, while avoidable, was the one penalty amongst those that I could have been like, that happens. You know, I mean, he, he tried to get it clear. He just, did, just didn't hit the hit the glass. But every other one, yes, I agree, is avoidable. But every And every one of these penalties have felt like, so except for maybe, maybe one or two, all felt just they killed momentum. I mean, the, the, any, any five-on-five momentum that the Predators built throughout this game uh, got killed whenever the Coyotes scored. Obviously, and then also when when they got on on the uh, the penalty kill, which um, I don't think it was it was bad. I mean, I didn't the the power play goal by the the Coyotes. I I'm actually kind of can't even remember when that happened. It was the, I think it was the third goal. But um, th- there was so much of this game that felt I think exactly like Link said. It felt like this. It felt yeah. like the 1920 uh, Predators. And it was the uh, I mean the second period was was supposed to be the point where the Predators could bring it back, and, and it felt like coming off the Forsberg goal at the end of the first, they could do that. And what happens? Penalty, penalty, penalty. I, it just, 
they could not recover. They, they recovered from the mistakes they made in the first, only to make a completely new set of mistakes in the second. Uh, it's just very frustrating to watch, especially when they start just kind of surging back in the third. You're like, well, maybe maybe they're going to do that classic uh, give up four goals and score six. Like that was the first what that was the first few months of the season this year. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about the the, the goaltending decision uh, in a little bit, but let's let's talk a little bit more about the skaters before we get to that. Um, so uh, I was just noticing that you know at, at five and five the Predators had a pretty good edge. Uh, would you want to take a guess at who on the Predators led the team led the team in individual expected goals? Who had the highest? individual expected goal any guesses just off the top of your head i have it in front of me so I'll oh, Chris, okay, okay. I'll so, I, I don't i don't have it in front of me because i'm, I'm not smart okay uh, but uh let, let, i would say i would say if if we're talking about individual expected goals the one person that may have um craig smith no craig smith is not the number one this when i saw this name this surprised me because You're i this Jared Tenorti is actually very high on there, but it's it's Ryan Johansson. Ryan Johansson led in even in even strength individual ex, expected goals. Led the team by quite a lot actually. He had 0.31. Uh, Jared Tenorti had 0.16. Uh, without getting too crazy into those numbers, all that means is that uh, Ryan Johansson had the highest count of of possible goals that could have happened based on where he shot uh, and you know his distance from the net and everything. Um, that surprised me. I mean, I think did Ryan Johansson have a good game? I, did I miss it? What happened? I, I think he was. I mean, I don't. I mean, I think he played a better no, second half of the game than the first half of the game. I, I thought. Yeah, I thought he was, especially in the third period. I thought, I thought he played admirably while they were trying to come back. But I, I, overall, I didn't think he had a great game. But I thought, yeah, he, th- pretty I, middling. I yeah. think it was it was pretty middling. Like there were definitely players that were that underperformed. There were definitely players that did. Pre- I mean, you know, obviously Forsberg worked real hard that game. Um, you know, Yossi always always worked hard. Ellis worked hard. So there's, but yeah, I mean, if we're comparing some of the guys that you know last week, Alex, you and I were talking about, you know, Duchesne or, or Johansson. I would say Johansson definitely played better than Duchesne. I can say that much. Oh, that's for sure. I can, that, I'm confident about that. He should, like one of the two guys at least tried to show up. Yeah, I, I think – go. yeah, exactly. Going back to that debate we had last week, who needs to be better, Ryan Johansson or Matt Duchesne? Ryan Johansson definitely was better. That that line, the, the, the Jofa line, Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson, was the best Predators line at, at even strength for sure. So um, the, uh, the other thing, defensively, you mentioned it, the uh, – <laughs> The, the old bottom pairing defense crew, it's really sad when Jared Tenorti and Yannick Weber are your best option. Uh, would we have felt better if Dan Hemius was out there? I don't so, think so. So I didn't get to watch the uh, pre, pre-season practice game against the Stars. I, really get, I didn't get to watch the exhibition. That's the proper term. <laughs> um, the the knock-around game. Uh, so I didn't get to watch that because I was working. Um was Ham Hughes really bad? Like, did he have a bad showing? Because I know he played in that one. No. I tend to say, like, I'd rather have Ham Hughes than any of the other third-pairing guys. Is Ham Hughes particularly good right now? Well, no, but I, he's I, less bad than the other options. I, I don't think that – I mean, he played like a veteran in that exhibition game, and I was kind of shocked they went to Norty Weber for this one instead of either Ham Hughes Weber or Ham Hughes to Norty. I, I thought Ham Hughes would have been a – I thought he was going to be almost guaranteed 
to have a position on that line. So I, I was kind of curious as to why they went to Nordy Weber. Um, I didn't see anything wrong during the exhibition game. I didn't see anything wrong during practices. I thought he looked okay. So, I bet I bet Dan Hamish is in there in game two. I just have I bet he's back. I, I think you'd have to think so. And at the same time, I also think I think you probably see maybe Colin Blackwell as well. You know, I mean. Yeah, uh, someone who's performed better consistently than all the guys in the current third line this season. What happened to Jakob Trenin? I mean, Jakob Trenin was great. I mean, what hasn't happened to Jakob? Uh, let's, just be, let's be real here, you know. <laughs> this is the, we, we we still are in the situation where we're seeing Heinz select guys to play who consistently have perform, underperformed over guys who in when they have a shot have done well. You know, guys like Trenin and Blackwell have played well when you put them on the ice why do they get pushed aside for guys who like watson has not had a good season period and he, even when he's having a good season he's still just passable as an nhler so why force that especially when he doesn't really have this huge physical presence that he's supposed to bring well i, I thought that i thought uh, you know and i wrote about this before the season before this series started i said that i i thought watson would get the start because of the perceived physical presence of watson uh, you know, he hasn't played good since the in, – in my opinion, he hasn't had a good a good season since the since the Stanley Cup final year. And yeah. uh, I really thought that he would get that start in there because of his size and, the, like I said, the perceived physicality. But I think it was more of a, hey, let's see how this is going to work. And I honestly I, – I would hope Hines transitions some things into game two because clearly the bottom six – wasn't fantastic in this game. The bottom six wasn't good. The last, the third defensive pairing, none of it was good. You know, so I mean, they they were going to have to make some kind of roster adjustments. Okay, so I, I just I just thought of this. If if you were to place again, we're still going to get to the goalies because I think that's a big part of this game. Uh, but but ignoring the goalie side of it for a second, if you were to place the blame for this loss, I, this is it's it's very unfair to place it on one player. But if you were to place the blame for this loss on one set of players, like a forward line or a defensive pairing, who would you go with? Because I have I have the the one that comes to mind for me is pretty easy, and I, I think I know exactly which set of players I would go with as the most responsible for getting the team in a hole, not being able to come back in time. Uh, Martel, you have your hand raised like like a good student. Okay, uh, who do you think? Okay, so I'm only saying this because of how they played in the first period, and the first period was largely to blame for Nashville. The, this game getting outside of the way Nashville could have had a chance to win it. I, I really think Yossi and Ellis should have played better. I mean, the, the first goal, the first goal. I mean, the second goal especially. They looked. They just stood there. They just stood there. They just kind of were poking their stick around, trying to do a whole bunch of nothing. And, and, and it was, I said, and I think, you know, um, uh, Greg Wyshynski said it best. He goes, I don't think I've ever seen Yossi and Ellis look so pedestrian. And they did. They were just standing there. Now, if they would have played that first period better, I think this would, game would probably have a different outcome. Because I thought that game, I thought their game looked much better as the game progressed. But that first period was horrendous. Yeah. I, I think Chris is, is probably the most correct with that, uh, you know, if I was going to, if I were to look at the forwards, because I think the defense is being asked to carry a lot with the amount of talent, because um, there's a there's there's a big gap between the top three and the bottom three. It's huge. It's yes. huge. So they have to carry so much weight. 
but I think the um I'll call I'll call it the Duchesne line was yeah. horrendous to start. They didn't get and they sort of they, they were hoping to tread water. But that's um that was Duchesne, Turris, and Granlin. Like Granlin went from being like Heinz's guy to being so ineffective today. I was a little bit surprised at how ineffective. Um and the thing was Turris was not horrible. Duchesne was pretty bad. Granlin was ineffective. Turris was trying hard, but just seemed like things weren't firing for him. So that whole line needs to be better. Um, and, and I think Grandland has some ground to make up. Duchesne has a lot of ground to make up. That, that is the line that I was thinking in my mind as well. The Duchesne, Grandland, uh, Tourist line. I, I think mostly because I think if that line plays better, they win the game. Like they, if that, li- that one line plays together. Now, the, the Yossi Ellis comparison I think is really interesting because of that uh, the first period comment you made, uh, Martel. But I, the one thing about Yossi today was he was – basically just all offense like i mean he, he was his he had a ton of shot uh, shot attempts he was on the ice for a ton of shot attempts he was on the ice uh for a ton of shot attempts against as well he was all about going into that offensive zone now again they were down 3-1 down 4-1 probably a lot of that is is just necessity oh, but i hope at the same time that this isn't john Hines's uh approach to how the defense needs to be run you know i mean like i'm talking about a permanent approach because if they're going to try to change Roman Yossi into Eric Carlson, I've got a major problem with that. You know, yeah, people- I'll tell you what, if, if, that, if, if that was P.K. Subban that had the game that Roman Yossi had today, people would be roasting him. Oh, for because, sure. Because he didn't score, because he had some shot against, he had some turnovers. Like, they would be roasting him if he was, if he was P.K. Subban, for sure. Thoughts on that, Link? Uh, no, you're right, they would. I mean, I saw, I saw a few... Um, well, that's because he shouldn't be captain things out there, which is typical. Which, is, but that's not even like re- related to his performance. Like people, are like, he's not vocal enough. I'm like, did you guys ever like? Did you ever watch Shea Weber speak? Yeah. Like the dude was like, Martel did. I am Shea Weber. Oh no no no. You know? no 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 no. See, listen, listen, Link. Okay, okay. Wait a second. Okay, I got to put a pause on that one. Okay. No, I don't when mean he was he... talking to the media. He was yeah. like that when he was in the locker room. That dude scared people outright just scared them okay okay in the media he was like they had a good game and that was it you know that that's it that's it but no okay shay weber is a completely different guy in in the locker room i promise i promise always roman yossi in the locker room a completely different guy and that's what well but how vo- no i don't not ask you to compare no, them i'm just saying how how vocal is he like give people a little bit of of something to understand this is and this is I got someone, I had a couple people send this to me. They said uh, that part of the reason that this issue happens with the Preds is that it was a poor choice of captains. And I can't vehemently disagree enough. And I, the way Roman Yossi is off the ice and the persona that people see of Roman Yossi is vastly different from what they also see or what they don't see in the locker room. This is a guy who, who communicates, he steps up, he he tasks the veterans with what they need to do. He's good with the young guys, and he is a fantastic leader. The guy is what captainship was made for. You know, I mean, he literally personifies that ability to lead the team. So anybody who questions it, I'm going to have a problem with it because I know I know how he treats himself inside the locker room and outside of it. So it's it, it's different because people are like, it's a big problem with leadership. The captain's not a good captain. And I'm like, they don't know what they're talking about. So It took me a little bit to goji into that. But we, we got there. 
Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I think I think Leek and I have talked a lot about the overemphasis of the captaincy and especially and definitely the assistant captaincy and alternate captaincy, whatever the Predators have, uh, specifically with Nashville, but also be, also throughout the league. I mean, the idea of the captains has changed so much over the years. And I mean, just if you were to even try to name all the captains in the NHL, it would be kind of difficult to do. And even assist, even naming the assistant captains, they're just not that important anymore. And the, the thing with Roman Yossi that I see is I think he's much, he's definitely quieter, as, as you mentioned, Martel. He's definitely quieter than Shea Weber in that locker room. Like he's, he does not yeah. have that same imposing presence, you know, uh, especially like someone that like a Matthias Ekholm uh, might have, who definitely has that, or or even a Pecorine, I think, because when, when Rene gets angry, he gets angry. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Yossi, like his, his anger doesn't come out there. I think that's what fans glom onto is like they want him to be angry and throw stuff and, and yell and curse and stuff like that. And he's just he's just he's not, he's not ever going to be that guy. I mean, fans always want the players to feel they want make sure, they want to make sure the players feel bad when something isn't working right. I mean, like, well, they, they think they don't. They think they don't feel yeah. bad. Of course they do. They, I, I mean, mean, when when you hit actually hit reply all to an email and send something to your whole company. <laughs> <laughs> think about how you feel, and then think about how Wormiosi feels when the goal, there's a goal scored against him. It's probably pretty similar. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they don't just skate off the ice and go, "Well, guys, I'm making yeah, ten million dollars I mean, another day." Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's it's his. It's it, I always say at the end of the day, it's their job, and you can't forget that it's their job, you know. And that so first is ho- they're, they're hockey players, and then they're entertainers, but they're people first, and they're going to be frustrated with themselves. And but but at the same time, there's always a tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I would I would say any professional athlete that uh, uses anger so you know frequently and and, and without 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 abandon uh, probably is not a very good uh, professional and, and probably isn't someone who's going to be very successful anyways. I mean, all I the mean, really, all Matt the Cook, look at look at the Matt Cooks of the world. I mean, there's someone who can't control their temper and all the elite, all the elite players uh, find a way to behave themselves, except for Sidney Crosby apparently. Well, I think I think you know, Link, you had a really good point. You said. You said this is their job. I mean, think about think about for a second what, what you guys do. Like, if you go to your job and you know you've had a bad performance during the day, I mean, you're not going to feel great about it. Your bosses are going to get on to you about it. And it's the same approach. I mean, it's the same approach for every single person in an everyday life. And people look at this like they should feel bad. Well, they do feel bad. They, I, I, <laughs> could, could you imagine if you had, like, a rough day at work and you messed up and then, like, your your spouse, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever was like, man, you should you should you don't look nearly sad enough about what you did. I heard what happened, and I cannot believe that you are not just crying in the corner right now. You should feel terrible. Like you're supposed to be my biggest fan, and you're here like berate. I had a rough day. Could you just support me? And they're like, no. This would be the worst thing ever. Would... <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. Speaking of feeling bad, Yusei uh, Soros probably feels bad and probably feels somewhat responsible for the, the results on the ice. I think it's definitely um, unfair to say that that loss was on him. Um, with, with, without a doubt, the first goal of the game was not on him or on anyone. That was, that was on pure fluke. I don't think pure the first fluke. two were on him. I mean... Yeah, the second one as well. That was terrible defense. He had he stopped he stopped what two or three saves right before that, and then just couldn't get the fourth one. Uh, and then uh, the third goal was a power play goal. And then the fourth goal, um, I'm like, oh, the shorthanded, the shorthanded goal. That's probably not his fault either. I mean, the, a guy breaks in shorthanded. Oh. That's about a thirty percent chance of success. I mean, the, the, one of the huge benefits of having 
Chris Mason in the booth for the Predators is that when he's watching these shots 14 times, it's like one thing I really trust him on. Because he's yeah. like, that's a that's a tough goal to shoot. He can just when he's like, that's a tough goal to stop. You just like he probably sees like deer in the headlights, like wide <laughs> the screen, like. Oh, I don't miss that at all. <laughs> yeah. Right, because right. uh, that was—I mean—that that power play goal, the third one, was not an easy save. I mean, it, it was just high, high. That was the high shoulder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was tough. And then the shorthanded goal was like that's always yeah. breakaway against. Can we go back for a second? Oh. I, I know that I know that uh, Martel, you had someone in your in your Twitter mentions about this. <laughs> so, what is with the people who were saying that? Well, Pecorino should have been in for that first goal because he would have. He's just taller, because that's why Pecorino has won no, 300 no. games. Okay. It's because he's 6'5", not because he's good. Now, now to be to be fair, I'm going to defend these people just just for half a second because okay. I don't know if they completely intended for that to be what how it came across because I think they were just saying, well, if he was a net, being six yeah. foot five, that would have stopped the puck. I don't think they were saying. You know he's he taller. He should have started in in net right, for the Preds right, right. just because okay. he's tall. I mean, I'm tall. I should well, be in net for the Preds. I'm a tall will, guy. A lot of people are looking for a rationale for why Pekka should always be the starter. There's just people who are ride or die Pekarine. You know, bless their yeah. you know bless their well, hearts. See, people thought but, I was. People thought I was ride or die Pekarine because I said, "Hey, it was his job to lose." But I mean, as I I said later on, I said hey, Saros is going to start this series because Saros is the better of the two. You know, that's the thing. Like, yeah, okay, the puck may have hit Pe- uh, Pekka because he's taller, but Pekka has also been pretty lousy this season. So he could have let in other goals that were soft because that's yep. what he's been doing this year. Yep, it could have so, been four to like, one with all four being Rene's fault. I, well, yeah, but it's the nature of being a goaltender. It, there's there's the random nature of the sport that uh, can bring you down at your highest. I just realized that my my I just realized that my Zoom thing says my wife's name. I just realized that, by the way. I'm sorry if that was confusing. I am actually Alex. I'm not my wife. So. That's okay. That's okay. I was going to call you Georgia. It's fine. The Lord Mayor of Sparklesville. If you, <laughs> if you didn't notice. Uh, which, by the way, Martell, you, you said you were just going on what you probably thought the organization was going to do. That was probably a good idea because the, you're going on a decade of Pecorino starting playoff games for this team. I, I was I really had a thought they were going to start UC Soros. I was still surprised when they did. So let's go back to that decision for a second. Um, I thought it was interesting. John Hines on the pregame said uh, he was talking about the decision, and he said essentially that um, he didn't that Soros didn't give up the role that he was in prior to the pause. I thought that was interesting because, uh, well, first of all, that's not what they've said. They've said it was a basically a training camp battle since the beginning. Uh, but then also that he just never he never lost his so that first of all that tells you that Saros was definitely the starter in March for sure because he was a hot the hottest goalie and if the playoffs had started as you know on time Saros probably would have started then uh, but that you know even with training camp even with a completely healthy Rene no excuses both both goalies equal in terms of health Saros is the starter so what did you think of that decision um, and uh, and you know was that how did that impact the game uh you know i don't really think it impacted it too much i i think that i think them going with keeping it closed doors was just kind of um uh, just kind of a hey let's kind of play with everybody's emotions a little bit you know because i i really i really don't think i think they knew from the get-go what was going to happen i think Hines wanted to get a good look uh, during the first maybe week 
of, of the training camp and, and especially during their scrimmages. And I think after the, after like the first scrimmage, I think Hines knew, I think he knew like, Hey, listen, we're probably going to start Saros. But at, at the same time, I think they wanted to kind of leave it up in the air. And I don't really understand leaving it up, up in the air against a team like Arizona. You know, I mean, if, if it was like they were yeah. playing the blues, maybe, but this is Arizona, a team they should for all intents and purposes beat. They're not beating them right now. I mean, uh, but I, I think I was more concerned, and, and this is something uh, is a little off topic, but I think I was more concerned with the fact that John Hines, he, he didn't commit to either goaltender for game two after the game, hmm. which is weird because, uh, and then he said he, he praised UC Soros for keeping, keep it to, keeping the game like he kept it at four. I mean, <laughs> okay, that's like, like say, hey, for example, I have, three database crashes in a day. Well, you only kept it at three database crashes, so that's good for you, Martel. Yeah. They should keep it at zero. Yeah. I'll say, so, so, so Chris, no, the, what bounces out, though, is that if you, for example, have someone who's actively trying to crash your databases, like a coworker, <laughs> and and they do it consistently, and you're like are keeping it at three when they're trying to do more than that. Then you are doing a good job. So when the Predators are trying to give up more than four goals, and Charles is like, no, guys, four is enough. Then you can praise him because he's really trying his best to keep it from getting out of control. This that's, is the point I didn't think full, about. <laughs> yeah, that's like the full story. I didn't. I didn't consider this. I think this is a good. This is a good thing to take here. This is a good thing to take. Yeah, the, the, what I'm saying the predators are bad coworkers for you. <laughs> So, Link, I, I obviously I already know your your thoughts on this, but what did you think of them starting UC Soros today? Uh, well, I mean, when we talked, I was supportive of the idea. I was my pick for, for Soros to start just because I, I don't know why he'd suddenly be worse. Um, yeah. Though, you know, I did express concern that maybe coming in cold, that may be in some that, that, that worried it. But the second Heinz refused to announce who the goaltender would be, I was like, it's, it's going to be Soros. Because if it was Rene, he'd just be like, yeah, Pekka's going to start. Right. Yeah. I, I think I think um, you know Chris mentioned that there was a little aspect of like controlling the story, yeah. games to control the narrative. I think there's a little bit of that going on. You know, I think if if you say Rene's start, or if you say Saros is starting, you're going to have a bigger percentage of the fan base angry tweeting your social media guy, and maybe he was just like, "I'm so tired, guys. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired. I'm in the bubble." There's nothing but a sad cornhole board and a Tim Hortons truck. Please don't tell them that Saros is starting. I can't deal with that today. You know, like, I would believe that. So, about game two, where do you go from here? Because, you know, it's so it's, – the, the way this has played out is so interesting because you've got game two on Tuesday – and then a back-to-back, -back, you got Game 3 on Wednesday. First time the Predators have ever had a back-to-back, -back, I think. I think it's uh, the first time in NHL history they've done back-to-back -back playoff games. I mean, no, just... it's, it's not. Because I remember I remember this very specifically. In 2016, the Islanders had to play a back-to-back -back because of that goofy situation with their with their arena where they had where they were playing right. like that other arena because right. they didn't have a home ice, so they had to play back-to-back. -back. I remember this. I just, but anyways, I, I, it, it, it's very infrequent. So, like um, – They've got this back-to-back -back situation. Now, Link, you just said that if since since John Hines didn't say game one who it was going to be, that it's going to be Soros. Sounds like he said the same thing for game two. Does that mean Soros starts game two? Um, I, yeah, I think you throw him right back in there. Uh, let him let the team make a statement as a unit uh, with the assumption that you're going to have Pekka come in for relief in the back-to-back -back because 
I mean, history has taught us that when you have a back-to-back situation, you unless you have to, you don't play your goaltender back-to-back. It's just a riskier, it's a risky prospect, given yeah. the rest. Uh, but if, if you really believe going into Game 1, the Stars gives you the best chance to win, I think you have to do the same thing going in into the Game Tuesday. Nothing has changed from that, because it was the same Predators team we've been seeing. So why... Yeah. Why scramble things up more than you need to? Yeah, I think the goalie the goalie meeting is probably very quick. Hey, uh, still the same place with goalies. Uh, yeah, let's go work on the defense. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that goalie situation is going to change. I mean, if if Hines switches from Soros to Rene in Game Two, I, I would be kind of um, I'd be kind of aghast a little bit. You know, I, I'd be like, uh, uh, probably not the way you want to handle this. Um, I really think if Nashville can bottle the energy they had in the final 20 minutes and actually play a 60-minute game, uh, they could find things go in their favor. You know, I mean, uh, just spitballing here, but uh, I really think they should play 60 minutes and they should do it in game two and they should do it in game three and they should do it in game four and then they can move on. Hey, hey, Alex, can you do me a favor? Can you take that that, – what – Chris just said, clip it and just give it. I need a button so that every time you ask me a question about how the team should play, I just play that. Because that's just like, I don't need, I'll, I never need to do anything again on, on, on the podcast. I can just hit play and have Chris talk. That, and I'm like, okay, done. We've done the analysis. That's the Predators. I actually, I actually have a. Uh, I mean, that's, but that really does like capture what this team has become over the last like season. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's true. I it's a, true. I have a clip. I have a clip montage that I'm just building onto. I have some stuff that you've said, Link, that I'm adding to it. So like, there's a, a huge. There's about a 45 second drop where it's just the same things. First of all, like UC Soros, start UC Soros. It's gonna be what what Martel said, and then it's gonna be I don't know something about hot dogs. It's gonna there's gonna be something about that in there. So it's an emulsified sausage product. Yeah. And I don't know who that guy who called in was, but I'm still mad. <laughs> emulsified sausage i'll never forget that i, I can't uh, believe that that guy called in it was so wrong it I was, mean, it's embarrassing 100 wrong <laughs> so let's look a little bit at what the coyotes did because obviously there was another team on the ice uh they did not play nick schmaltz he was uh injured in the exhibition game uh he was not in there don't know if he's gonna play again uh or i don't know if he's gonna play on on tuesday i mean uh I mean, their their lines. The the Hall Dvorak Kessel line was probably their best line. That that line was really good uh, at five on five. But um, I don't think there's any individual other than Michael Grabner, of course, who just always seems to get shorthanded goals against everyone. Uh, there wasn't a single you know individual um, Coyote player except for you know maybe Darcy Kemper who was just like dominating the the team. I mean, Phil Kessel does his thing. Uh, Christian Dvorak is good. I mean, you saw. You saw Clayton Keller do some stuff out there. I mean, but I don't think there's anything in that in that Arizona Coyotes team that says, "Boy, they're not winning this." Unlike you know maybe against Dallas last year, where you saw how good that team was, and you're like, "Wow, this is going to be a tough series." Or the Winnipeg series from 2018, where you saw how just dominant that Jets team was. I don't see the same thing with this Coyotes team. No, no thoughts on that. <laughs> no, I mean. Uh... I, I think you're right. I, I, this Coyotes team is, is I mean, because they didn't have, like, I mean, Nick, Nick Schmaltz wasn't in the lineup. And it's funny because Schmaltz is their top scorer. And nobody would have thought that. I mean, nobody really remembers that. But they're not a team that you would expect to see um, beating the Preds. I mean, I, I'm being honest. I'm not I'm not yeah. saying that in a, in a, 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 to be a slight at the Coyotes. But 
I think this is a team that Nashville for the last for the last eight years has not played the way they can play against them, but they've gone down to a level that puts them on a level of equality with them. And and I've I've always had I mean because they play they've done that with a lot of teams, but I think Arizona has been one team they've really done that with. And I, sure. I, I've I've consistently had an issue with that, and that's why I've said that. You know, I said me saying play sixty minutes. You know, okay, that haha. You know, I I know that seems like such a such a convenient thing to do and and to say, but in reality, if they would play their game for sixty minutes instead of being consistently inconsistent, this wouldn't be an issue. It wouldn't be. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it matters so much. Well, I think is it's sometimes you get. An, I think it's an illusion that a particular team seems to have another team's number, especially when you have player rotations and coach rotations. But what we know from the Predators, and this is me having said this, I don't know how many times, but teams know what mistakes to look for from Nashville. They know exactly what to look for from the footage. A decent coach is able to point those out and easily instruct your team what they need to do. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Predators, more so than most of their teams, when they're having to back check, when they're having to defend their crease, crumble under pressure. Now, that happens to the best of teams, but it happens to the Predators faster than most. So if you can really hammer them, you're going to get really, really good opportunities very quickly compared to other teams. So I want to make sure, like, because... Often when I say, if you hem them in, take a lot of shots of back checking, you know, it creates opportunity. Like, that's like an evergreen statement, but the Predators are particularly weak because they are really bad at clearing the, clearing the crease. They're really bad about keeping their shape um, defensively. They get scattered. And this is so known that any team that can have some discipline in how they execute can easily exploit those things. And that's I think that's what we see with Arizona. That's what we saw um, as, as a persistent weakness. So I don't think it has anything to do with, like, any team having a number, I, I think it's just a solved puzzle. So uh, to kind of a change change of direction here. What did you guys think about the broadcast? Uh, I don't know what feed you guys watched. It was on Fox Sports Tennessee. It was on uh, it was on NBC as well. I was at the mercy um, of Fox Sports Tennessee on this one. Yeah, that, I, I was as well. Um, I I was like, okay, so since the beginning of this, of the NHL replay, um, I've actually been kind of impressed by it. But for some reason, the the way it was presented with the Predators game felt very, I don't know, like it felt like it was missing something. And then they, the the chance, did we need to bring the chance in? I just, no, it's all your fault was just, it was so crazy. I thought it was so just hollow and, and just rang false. It did, not, it did not feel right. It didn't feel, it did not feel genuine. Obviously, it wasn't genuine, it was just video. And then, uh, I don't know, there's something about the broadcast, but this just didn't make a lot of sense. I don't know. What do you think, Link? I mean, I was, I think I was watching the same one, the same Fox Sports Tennessee one. It was, I mean, I have not been enthusiastic about the broadcast for a while. I rank it as fine. Yeah. Um, I think it was as I guess, I guess fine. I'm talking about, I, maybe I'm not talking about like the TV side. I'm talking about more like the game itself. The game itself. Uh, well, so I've been watching a lot of restart soccer. Yeah. Um, and I, so I am firmly in the camp of I like piped in crowd noise. Ah. The all, the reason I like it is I just think it everything just sounds really hollow without it. 
I don't really care what the players are saying because anything interesting is going to be bleeped out because of the, the time delay. So you're, you know, you're just going to hear random things now and again, but not a lot. Huh. I don't know. It's, it's like a little bit of a gravity blanket. It just feels comforting to have the crowd noise playing. Okay. But like, I don't know. I don't, I think it, it the, 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 the cheers and that kind of stuff is is weird playing the goal songs for both teams when one's a home team is a little weird but fine i mean it's just hard for me to get really bothered by it uh i mean cuz it could be a lot worse like it could be john champion calling mls games where for like 3 minutes he just he just says like a player's name he like bedoya <laughs> martinez i'm like what are you you're paid to do this and he'll just <laughs> And, like, the other guy, Taylor Twelman, who's an idiot, um, I hate Taylor Twelman, will just, like, say nothing and just leave John Champion, just say a player's name every 20 seconds. Like, so, it could be worse, is what I'm saying. I've never tried to do it. I'm sure it's hard, but it's, you know, the other thing is, like, do we need it anymore? Is it necessary to do play-by-play? Commentary? Um, Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it serves so it, purpose sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't think I think it'd be kind of weird just having a silent broadcast for two and a half. The number, hours. The number of games that I watch, it's just a personal thing, maybe the number of games I watch on mute, 90 percent. I don't think I've watched uh, many games these days uh, with the broadcast on. I, don't, I, I kind of I like it, even if I'm not focusing on it, because it just it's just noise. It's yeah. sort of like if you leave the TV on when you're studying or when you're I, doing something else. Yeah. It's more that. like that for me. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. It, yeah. Okay. It, it's all I know is I want I want them to get JP Dumont more TV experience because I like JP Dumont. I just I just he just feels a little uncomfortable on television to me still. Yeah. Right. Um, I would agree. I mean I mean I mean gr- granted he didn't turn to his co-host and stare at them for an entire segment. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he's got a lot to learn. So. I felt, I really felt, to, I'm being completely fair, I felt uncomfortable for him for a couple of those segments because it was just, it was just staring, you know, and I, I felt like he was just kind of like, like, I just yeah. I need to focus here. I just, I just Yeah, there's a, there's a learning curve. It's not like people think that you just go on TV, you just look at a camera and, and that's easy. Learning to look at a camera and talk like you're t- and talk to different people and move cameras and look at your co-host that is really difficult to do. Yeah. And having firsthand experience with a Fox Sports Tennessee broadcast myself, I can tell you there is a person behind the camera doing this, pointing at one camera and then pointing at the other camera, like literally waving a piece of yeah. paper, pointing back and forth. And I try, I try, it's 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 extremely distracting. And so I thought he did a pretty good job. So. Yeah, I, but I, so I no, and let me let me clarify. I'm not being remotely facetious. I want JP Dumont to get more TV experience because I like him. Yes, yes. Um, so the more because I think he does a good job on the radio. I actually like him on the radio quite a lot. And if they're trying to get him moved over to the TV space, I, I think that's great. I mean, Dumont is so important to hockey in Nashville, from professional down to down to kids learn to skate. Mm-hmm. That having him. Uh, kind of get rewarded for that and bring more and do more and be as involved as he wants to be. I think it's a fantastic thing. He just needs experience. Well, I, I didn't mean to, uh, to to make us go down a, a whole like side side street here, but let uh, me criticize the team, Alex. I want to criticize the media side of the team right now. I mean, it's to- feel free. I was just. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I can also talk about that wonderful Brooks Bratton segment, which he did a fine job with it. But like, 
he they gave him so little to work with. Did you guys watch that? You know what, when he went into the players only. When he was in like the yeah the players zone where there's like a couple yeah. like scattered cornhole sets and like some yeah. tables and like a sad food he's, truck. I'm just like he's got a oh. pic- yeah he's he's showing us like three tables with some cards and some hand sanitizer. He's like look at what the players have. <laughs> I mean I felt so like they, they you know yeah. they asked to do that like hey could you go down to shoot a segment yeah. for this and everything and he's like yeah absolutely and it's like oh no what did I sign up for this is not good. Yeah, and he did his best with it. Like he, his enthusiasm was up. He he like was ma- trying to make it. Just what a what a losing situation they put him in. <laughs> it was like if I if I went to try to film like something in my office, like look at look at how this office works. Like here's where the desks are that we sit and do work, and here's where the bathroom is. Oh, my office. We have cool. a break room, and here's where my boss sits. Look at this. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful? And now I'm going to lounge because I'm in a lounge room. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picturing someone like filming like that quarter, like someone cut like a quarter of a donut off. Yeah. So it's like just part of a donut's left. Like, <laughs> like who would do this? The monster. And I was like, we don't, we don't care. We so, really don't care. Um, yeah. The, the, so the predators, we're going to do one more, one more thing before, we, before we wrap up here. Uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously the predators have game two on Tuesday, game three on Wednesday could be over by Wednesday if the if the Coyotes put the hammer down and uh, and and could end this thing on Wednesday we could be done with Predators hockey until December uh, uh, or the Predators you know tie it up or maybe they go they come back and are up two to one and then I think Game Four is uh, Friday is that right and then and then the following Game Five will be Sunday so uh, I do want to do this this is a, a segment we normally do on the show uh, oh I can't escape. Can I? <laughs> no, not, not the five on five. No, you're, oh. you're, you're free of that. You're free of that. Uh, we're going to do the dumbest thing in hockey right now. And my oh. dumbest thing in hockey right now. So this is just, Martel, this is just where we say okay. uh, what we think something dumb in hockey is. You know, we, you, know just, you just name something dumb. I think last week uh, mine was the, the, the people calling the Seattle Kraken fans crackheads. I thought that was pretty dumb. Um, we've had tons of these. All right, because there's a lot of dumb things in hockey, right? Uh, my dumbest thing in hockey right now is that kneeing is not an automatic game misconduct. Because if knee, okay, I understand that headshots are obviously like the most dangerous, and because they can literally uh, end a player's life. But kneeing can end a career, right? I mean, kneeing is not physically as damaging because you're not going to get a brain injury from kneeing. But it can end careers. It has ended careers, and it, it is also a very avoidable penalty. I mean, it is not. It is very difficult. You you have to try to knee someone in the knee, right? I mean, it's just to get someone in the knee. It's 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 almost always intentional. The fact that that's not an automatic game misconduct to me, I think that needs to be changed. Wow, uh, that's a that's that's a that's a very true thing, and it is very dumb that it is not. Um, yeah, more severe. Can I go? Can I go next? Yes. Please. Go ahead, Martel. What is the um, thing in hockey? I think the dumbest thing in hockey right now is the fact that um, that that teams are doing um, their standing up for racism thing. Now, wait a second. I got more to finish. I'm not stopping there, okay? I'm not stopping there. I, oh, no, we're out of time. Oh. <laughs> no, no, stop. No. He said it's horrible. To- <laughs> no, no. I think I think it's, it's dumb that they're doing that, and then players are going and liking it tweets about how people are standing for the anthem and i'm sitting here going well Ah. that's a catch-22 there guys i mean because if you're going to out yourself for being 
a racist, just don't even do it. Just don't even because yeah. people are going to find out. People are going to find out, you know. So, I mean, so mine was actually going to be somewhat similar because how how tepid of your moment to support kind of the whole concept of Black Lives Matter, then you know, th- th- then to actually have one of the worst people you know of retweet it and praise you for what a, for having yep. people stand for the anthem. Yep. Uh, that just tells you what a bad job you did. Now, I like I'm I have to have, like I look at this as a spectrum of how teams that I either cover or support how they manage this. And I look at like the Philadelphia Union, who one of their players designed the shirts that all of the players and coaches wear before and during the game, supporting for charity, you know, and selling and supporting it for charity. So a player in the union designed that. And then game one of the MLS's back tournament, the Philadelphia Union came out into the field and and they had the names of um, victims of police shootings on their jerseys instead of their own, the player names. So every wow. player had the name of, of someone who had um, been wrongly shot and killed um, See, by this, police this... officers. So, you know, I, I think I, I've, um, so as you're on the spectrum, the NHL is definitely, um, they, they're trying to, find a balance which is a very nhl thing to do and uh, and this is really not the moment to find your your balance but it's pretty par for the course for the league to be honest yeah i I think i i I would agree with you i i think that the the, it's it's one thing so they've made some progress in the fact that five years ago it's not even anywhere close to the league i mean they're, they're they're i mean because all this stuff by the way is almost all these incidents we're talking about are multiple years old i mean you know michael brown was just 15 i think there's there's a lot of issues uh, that have been in the news and in sports. I mean, Colin Kaepernick was a, was a long time ago considering, and that the NHL is only just now getting into it, and that they're they're not even dipping their toe into the pool. They're just like kind of asking others if the pool feels okay and if they can maybe be in the pool a little bit later on, and maybe they can schedule it and do a, a photo shoot about it. It 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 feels tepid is a great way to put it. I think it feels um extremely safe and this is not a movement for which it's okay to feel safe i mean you have to you have to go into it you have if you're going to do this you have to be all about it and you have to be you have to make it this hockey is for everyone thing you know has has just sort of morphed into this like kind of catch-all oh well we have the hockey is for everything that's what we've got we've got that thing um so we should do that the NHL needs to do what Seattle has been doing, which is saying we want to build a team and a front office that reflects the fan base of hockey. Yeah, and have set out to do that. Um, and it goes beyond just a, a Black Lives Matter thing. It goes to finding, you know, women who and bring them into sports and and people and people of all colors and bring them bring them in and make it reflective. So I I, I still I think I said this last week. With as disappointing as what as in limited and tepid as what the NHL has done um, in support of Black Lives Matter and in general and, and the, just the very concept of, of racism in hockey and that needing to be addressed and not being able to really get their hands around it, I, I just feel like can Seattle <laughs> so much pressure on them to like maybe set a, a new example to set a new standard and move beyond it because um, when people were demanding like you know. The the reporters in the bubble should be asking the, the the white players what they think and get their advance. I'm like, 
the NHL is only letting in NHL staff yeah. reporters. You yeah. think the NHL staff reporters are going to have you read an article from an NHL staff reporter? Do you know like they're well do written? Know, do you know any of the major are, who of the major non NHL uh, paid uh, reporters are in the bubble? The athletic, there? There's a couple people from the athletic there. Couple people from the athletic. Uh, Greg Wyshynski is he in the bubble? ESPN. Uh, I don't I, believe so. Yeah, I don't think so. Because he's I mean, someone that very, I would, It's very yeah. limited. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, extremely limited. I mean, yeah. It, so that 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 was the whole thing. So I, I think that's a a fair criticism of the league to say that they are not taking it as seriously as they probably should, and um, but but also not surprising. I just want to like you know, and this is something where I, I want to make sure we're not just trying to like play lips pay lip service to a, a moment in time or something like that. You know, we're we're talking about the Black Lives Movement matter, uh, Black Lives Matter movement in general, um, but I think it, this this extends to things that hockey have been challenging in hockey for a long time that are persistent and that fans many fans have been openly advocating for change and and we just haven't seen it and it it is across a number of things including supporting lgbtq fans and potentially players who aren't who can't actually be themselves publicly and uh i I always think back to colin wilson saying i you know i don't i don't use the rainbow tape on the ice because people will make fun of me for it like it's it's yeah wow yeah, yeah, uh, with that? the Avalanche, Colin oh, Wilson. Awesome. When, yeah, when he, not not when he was in Nashville in Colorado. Well, this is Colin uh, Wilson we're talking about. Um, so, but still, like, I, I it's, it's like a small thing. Yeah. You know, it, like these are tiny, tiny things, and it shows you that that you know the NHL has a long way to go because there's some real cultural issues. And so, in case uh, anyone yeah. missed it, the, the Predators. I don't think they did this before the exhibition, unless you remember otherwise. But all the players arrived to the game wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. Uh, did you guys see that? Yeah, yep. yeah. I thought that uh, was that was a, a that was then, that was a nice. And then on social media, but, now again, these are these are very small things that, uh, in the grand scheme of things, are not are are not going to make change, but. I think do reflect how things have changed. You know, the, the Preds Twitter account and, and Instagram and everything were, were tweeting about Black Lives Matter. And that's been that's been something that they've been asked. People have been asking them to do and they did it. And so credit that. I mean, they, they, it is important that they pointed that out or that I'm sorry, that they, that they did that. Uh, they got all, if you go look at the comments. There's a lot of people who didn't like it. And yeah. I, I can't true. believe they wore these shirts. <laughs> I'm no longer a fan of this team. Yeah. So they've worn shirts, they sent the tweets and that puts some fans at risk, but you know, they have to, they have to live it next season, the season after in perpetuity. Yeah. Um, You know, and this is, this is something that has to also, they have to make sure that these changes are being felt through hockey in Nashville as a whole. Exactly. You know, um, it, it needs to make sure that it's not perpetuating the culture that comes from, from frankly, sadly, and somewhat sadly comes from Canada that sets a lot of the, the things you see in, in youth hockey there and, and uh, like CHL hockey. So uh, junior hockey, that's the word I was looking for. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think, I think we've, I think we've, we've touched on a lot of that stuff. So, so it's like, we're saying uh, the dumbest thing in hockey right now is the fact that they're only doing this until now and they're still not even really doing it all that well. Um, but, uh, at least they're doing it, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess that's a thing. Um, 
Let's real quick uh, just just recap everything. So game two, game three. Uh, what do you guys think happens in uh, the rest of the series? Do you think can, can Nashville? Here's the question. Question. The final final question. <laughs> can Nashville win this series? Yeah, absolutely. I think they can win this series. But the problem is, is I will go back to my uh, my a hundred percent genius thought here is that they got to play sixty minutes. You know, I mean, because and, and I can say it's on Roll the clip. <laughs> Just got to do it, got to do it. But, I mean, this is a team that has inconsistently performed all season long. They've been a team that has gotten themselves into penalty trouble. I mean, six times or four times this year, they had six penalties or more in a game. You know, I mean, wow. this, this is a team that has to stay out of the box. Uh, they're going to have to take advantage when they have a power play. They did fairly well of that today so but at the same time they can't take stupid penalties anymore uh and they were going to have to play all three periods they can't just show up when they feel like it so yeah and they really need to find a way to bottle or manage their frustrations i think that's that's when we started seeing a lot of the mistakes uh with passes and and well bad passes and back cross ice passes drop passes and it's just you just see the frustration taking over, uh, and it just every, as the more and more frustrated you get, the more and more mistakes you can end up making, uh, and it leads to some of the things that Chris was describing getting worse. Um, I can't add much to, to Chris's analysis. I think it was spot on, um, but I, I just think they have to bottle, they have to do something with that frustration, and they need to find a way to manage it, uh, and, and that will help them get back into the series. They absolutely can win this series. There's no reason they can't. I, th- I would agree. I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Game two is Tuesday at 1.30. Uh, same channels and everything. So uh, be, be sure to tune in, uh, even though you're probably supposed to be working. Just don't work. Watch the game instead. Unless they go down 4-1, and then you can probably go back to work. You know, because that's what's going to happen, maybe. Uh, you can check out all of our hockey coverage at A-to-Z-SportsNashville.com. You follow me on Twitter at AlexDarty1. Follow Link on Twitter at 3DLink. And you can follow Martel on Twitter as well. Did you know he had a Twitter account? His Twitter account is at KMartel underscore sports. So go tweet him and tell him how uh, wrong or right he is about everything. Now all you can do is at shut up Martel. Or at Martel, you know, is his thing. And then just say shut up. Yeah. Either one works, yes exactly right so uh we'll uh we'll wrap it up here thanks so much for joining me uh any final thoughts i always throw this out at link at the end final thoughts yeah and he does it every time and i never know what to do <laughs> and i always freeze and i always panic uh 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 this so just tell- seltzer water i'm drinking tastes like um uh tootsie rolls even though it's supposed to be coffee cherry there done whoa that sounds delicious uh i don't have any parting thoughts besides what are you uh, what are you cooking tonight what are you cooking tonight uh chicken club sandwiches Ooh, so I, not, that's not a grill. You're not grilling. Yeah, something. well, I've got to oh, grill the chicken. You're okay. Okay, right, so you are gonna grill. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be awesome. delicious. I can't wait. I don't even know what I'm eating for dinner tonight. I'm making. I'm making chicken congee. I don't even know what that is. It's a Chinese rice porridge dish. Oh yeah, Ooh. Chinese rice porridge dish. Okay, Link. Chicken, <laughs> chicken, chicken congee. Okay. <laughs> actually, actually, kanji is like super pervasive throughout Asia. It's one of the most common. Oh things. yeah, it's mm, chicken kanji. I'm just, I'm gonna have all the fancy food. I'm Chris Link. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you put, you put. Let me, let me just tell you how this works. You take a cup of rice and you put it in a pressure cooker or like an instant pot. You add like seven cups of stock, 
Throw in the chicken breast and cook it for 15 minutes. It's like just gonna have so chicken. dead simple that everyone should make it. It's really tasty. It's like a chicken soup. It's so good. <laughs> Let me see my tea real quick. Mm. Oh you want me to talk about? I can. We got. I got time. I can talk about tea for the next hour if you if you have a minute. No. Stay tuned for the tea hour. <laughs> Over on our Instagram live. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't have an Instagram live. All right. I'm gonna wrap it up here. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.